Welcome to episode 223 of the Design Details Podcast. I'm Bryn Jackson. And I'm Brian Levin. Today we caught up with Jess Carly. She is the head of digital design at Everlane. Super fun conversation. We talk about clothing manufacturing, Mm -hmm. uh, hard goods generally. Hard goods, uh, meat space retail, online retail. Really like the mechanics of storing physical property. (laughs) Yeah, you know, like real world stuff. Before we get into the conversation, I want to thank our sponsors for making this very specific, very individual, one-of-a-kind show possible. First up, OGs. Figma. What? I don't know what OG meant. Uh, they're OGs. They're OGs. They're... Original graphics. They're off-site graphics. This is in the cloud. They are awesome. That's an A. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> awesome. Awesome graphics. Awesome guys slash gals. All right. Figma is a design tool that lives in the cloud. It's making it easier to design, prototype, share, collaborate on user interfaces. Uh, you should be using it if you're not using it. Uh, if you're using something like XD or Sketch, Figma is a wonderful replacement because it's synced across all of your devices by default. It works on Windows. It works on Mac. Think about like Dropbox paper, but for design, like all your tools and you don't have to carry a computer. It's pretty great. I literally, but, when I was working there, I didn't have to carry a computer ever because everything was in paper and Figma. It was the best. But a computer would be helpful. I will throw that out there. But I had a work computer and a home computer. Okay. okay. So like I didn't carry a backpack to work every day. It's the best. That is the best, but it's not the reason that we're reading that. The reason we're reading that—they're hiring people. They want you to come build the future of this really incredible tool. They're built. hiring product designers right now, and they just got a new design manager, Noah Levin. You can hear him on one of our other episodes. He's very good. He now works there as their new design manager. They're also hiring a designer advocate and a writer. If you want to go help this incredible team working on the future of of UI design tools and prototyping tools, uh, give them a check at figma.com slash careers of course tell them we sent you we're big fans of the team i literally hung out there like all day today like i just got back from figma you literally worked there as well so yeah can vouch yeah i was a designer advocate and you should take that job it's a good job uh and of course yeah if you're a product designer they're also hiring as well uh now's your chance at figma.com slash careers thanks so much figma next up is our friends from fuse our other favorites because we don't have only one favorites when we read sponsor ads we have two favorites every week <laughs> and this we week one service we offer this week it's figma and fuse uh fuse is like uh imagine you wanted to make a game the piece of software you would turn to is unity and why it, it runs because the entire process unity does everything that you could possibly need to create a final game from bringing in all of your assets into one place writing the interactions designing uh the way the story and feel the story the whole picture and all comes together and you can ship directly from unity to whatever game store you're you're selling now you can make games oh wait this isn't a unity ad you weirdo fuse is like that but for building digital products on ios and android it's one integrated set of tools that makes it easy to write compose uh design interactions design visuals uh and at the end of the day, what you've built is a real live thing that works with native code on iOS and Android that you can ship to your users on an app store. The interface is a simple component-based language. Well, framework, I don't know. It, 
it kind of feels like React, but it's their own thing called .ux. It's a really nice way to write applications. And when you're done, it'll output actual Swift code and Java, maybe Kotlin, I don't know. It makes it really Android easy. and iOS, those things. You can work with Fuse on, on your Windows, on, on a Mac. Uh, you have like a nice live preview that updates it's as you're text. making changes. It makes it really easy to build responsive and adaptive layouts as well. So as Similar the to number layout. of device sizes increases, you don't have to do more work. You can just declare the way things should behave. Aren't we done with device sizes? We'll do the rest. They handle things like animations, view changes, uh, visuals, layout, everything all in one place. Uh, and as you're changing, those changes propagate to your uh previewer but also to your team so it make, makes it easy to work in real time with your team while you're working on a product together if this sounds interesting to you and you're ready to dive in finally make an app go to fusetools.com they have tons of documentation you can look through their features page and their examples page and see what people are making with fuse uh, this is really exciting because it's free so imagine taking all the time that you would normally invest in learning a prototyping tool and just invest that time in learning how to actually make an app with a really beautiful abstraction and set of tools that makes this easy and understandable. That's all at fusetools.com. If you are working with a team and want to upgrade the and way- you're making that, money. And you make that paper and you want to upgrade your process, Fuse has a plan called Pro, which gets you access to Fuse Studio, which is like- It's a visual layout tool. This UI wrapper around all of the power that Fuse brings to the table makes it really easy to design and build and ship an application. And again, that goes to iOS, it goes to Android, all from one place, all from one set of markup. Now, again, this is their paid pro plan. And if you need that, you can go to fusetools.com slash plans and use the code DD for design details. That'll tell them we sent you and it'll get you 70% off the first year. And that has to be redeemed by the end of this year, December 31st. But you can get it for free today if you just want to try it out, play around or work on a side project or learn how to actually build apps and ship it uh, on multiple platforms at once. Really incredible stuff at fusetools.com. Go check them out. Look at the examples. Uh, click through the features. Highly recommend it. Uh, fusetools.com slash plans. Yeah. Use the code DD. Mm-hmm. Thanks so much, Fuse, for making what you make and for making this episode possible. Making what we make. And for making what we make. Thanks once again to our sponsors. And with that, let's get into episode 223 with Jess Carley. Okay, great. Hi, my name is Jess. Uh, I work at Everlane, leading the digital design team there. Um, Previously, I was a designer at Paperless Post and General Assembly. Before that, I transitioned my career from architecture to graphic design, and I got my MFA at MICA in Baltimore. So it's been around a 10-year career in design, shifting from physical spaces to digital spaces. Nice. And here I am. And now Everlane, Mm -hmm. which is like... Kind of a good mix of the kind two. Kind of yes. a mix? Yeah, actually, it's one of the reasons I was really excited about the job is I was excited to get back into a space where I could contribute on digital product design, but also get exposure back into physical retail and like physical spaces, um, since I'm really interested in the consumer psychology of interacting offline, yeah. but then bringing that online. Um, so Everlane to me is a great example of a brand who's building, um, you know, has a great relationship with their customers. We have a really big online business. We're just starting to go offline into retail later this year. Um, so I knew that it would be a really great place to combine my interests. For people who don't know Everlane mm-hmm. or like maybe have heard of it or mm-hmm. like it's very surface level, could you just explain what it is? Yeah. Uh, 
I didn't know anything about it. And then I read an interview with uh, the founder, like with Michael. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of weeks ago. Okay. I was like, everyone read that interview. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh, okay. There's more here. Okay. Yeah. So Everlane has an interesting history. So it's an retail and a technology enabled retail company. We make better basics for everyone, uh, quality clothing, um, but really we're a mission driven company. Um, so our whole thing is radical transparency around pricing. Um, giving the customer information around exactly how much a piece of clothing costs to make, where it's made, who's making it, and we only mark it up two times, um, whereas the standard fashion industry markup is eight. Um, so it's really like bringing high quality design um, that's affordable to the masses yeah. um, and uh, not unlike, you know, an Eames philosophy yeah. uh, sort of related to all these sort of better design for more. The other thing that we do is we really highlight like our factories and we're trying um, at the mission level to sort of change the fashion industry, higher level, uh, the practices transparency into how things are made, treating the factory workers well. Like we only work with factory partners yeah, that we yeah. uh, deem to be, um, you know, great for our company and for our customers. So that's sort of like the background. And today it had started as a menswear business mm -hmm. uh, with T-shirts and has sort of transitioned. Hey, I'm wearing Oh, you are. Awesome. Uh, I'm a basic boy. <laughs> Better, better basics. No one gets laid in Everlane. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's the article. That, <laughs> that was the quote. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Man. So that was a misquote, which oh, I think boy. that we spent some time trying to, to corral. But, Please you know, edit we're just this. We can't. They wouldn't let us edit it. Um, <laughs> so, so, yeah. I think on the other note, it basically... Sorry, get a lot of press these days. <laughs> yeah. um, some is good. All press is good, oh, right? Oh, sure. Um, That's what they say. And yeah, so menswear business to sort of transition into more of a women's wear focus. Mm. Right now it's like 80-20 women, men, but we're still, we still have both. And we're really trying to figure out how to grow the business. And this year's strategy is retail. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, how's the transparency stuff work out? Yeah. So what I think is really interesting from an employee perspective is as a consumer to the brand before I joined the company, really loved it, really mm -hmm. loved the mission. I think the most interesting part about it is that it actually plays out day to day in the company culture too. Mm -hmm. So the culture is really transparent. It's very straightforward. It's very honest. You know, we have a value like do like the ethical choice is the right one, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's all very much about like doing right by our customers and doing right by each other. So that's how it plays out in the workspace day to day. Um, the way that it actually plays out on the site is every single product page has um, a radical transparency graphic where it shows the price of every single part of the piece of clothing, the total cost. Sleeve. <laughs> exactly. Where it's manufactured. <laughs> not, <all> the <laughs> not just the sleeve, but like the cost of the material, yeah. the sewing cost, the shipping cost, yeah. the freight, all of that. And then it adds up to the total and then the 2x total. So we have like a traditional price and then Everlane price. And then other ways that that plays out is we link to all of our factories. We highlight them. We, we say where they are. Um, we tell stories about them. Every year we have um, something we do called a Black Friday Fund, which is the very first year we launched it, we didn't sell anything at all <laughs> oh, we no. shut down the site and it was sort of like we're not about consumption oh, like, uh, oh i see but then the next year we were like I okay you, i didn't sell anything as a no, no 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 <laughs> like, like this was on purpose like yeah, yeah. site shut down we're not participating in this worldwide consumption day and then over time we've transitioned it to be like okay well we're still going to be open but we're going to donate um you know one hundred fifty thousand dollars to this factory and here's yeah. the cause and you're participating in this goal so those are some That's of the ways it plays cool. out yeah yeah um Kind Which, of the opposite of approach of like a Cards Against Humanity, Black Friday <laughs> yeah. gimmick. Give us money. Yeah, those are brilliant too. 
Uh, we'll dig a hole. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the transparency stuff's interesting, like especially as it plays out in the workplace. Um, I think people in general seem to be wary about transparency. Like if we share too much, we give away some secret or we expose a weakness that makes us look bad. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, exposing our, our cost of manufacturing makes the markup look all the more unreasonable compared to not knowing the cost of manufacturing mm-hmm. and paying 8x yeah even though you don't know because maybe you make up some justification Which, in your mm-hmm. head right yeah um i yeah. would assume you ran into some of that at like paperless post um because i worked at a print company and mm-hmm. we were like extremely extremely like private about what we were doing even though it was like people know how to print we've done how to yeah. print for hundreds of years i think when it comes to stuff like that well, I'll speak to Everlane first and then yeah. paperless. So Everlane, I think, so the company was started in 2011, six years ago, seven years ago, six years ago at this point. Uh, and <laughs> Hang on, what year is it? <laughs> you no, know, we don't even know anymore. The world yeah. is changing so Holy fast. It's crazy. True. Uh, but back when it was started, I think it was the very beginning of what a lot of people have called like conscious consumerism. So I think Everlane in general has been one of those companies really tapped into the to the mindset of this generation's buying preferences. And it's much more about like a choice they're making that reflects of themselves and their identity. And they want to make the choice that they feel good about. And so it's not, even though it may be perceived as a weakness or our competitors or other people might look at that and it's more meaningful to someone with knowledge in the know about how to make something. But for our customers, it's really like a symbol of trust and a shared relationship of saying like, hey, here's what we're going to tell you. We're yeah. providing you all this value, all this benefit. By the way, it looks really good. And they're like, great. I love it. You know? Yeah. Um, so it's not really a risk when you are just confident in the in the information you're putting out there and the product has to be great, right? So at the end of the day, the product's great. For paperless, I think uh, and like Everlane, it's a design choice, right? So you choose to pay more for design. Um, so, for example, you might choose to pay for online invitations with Paperless versus a free company like Evite because there's better design. It's mm-hmm. better quality. It looks better. It's a better representation of you, your values as a host, and the kind of party you want to have. And as an Evite sender. <laughs> yeah. So it's like there's just I'm design sorry, not is all. Not to diminish that. Not to diminish. Uh, I just think Evite is a very funny word. Cause... Yes. We actually never use that <laughs> It speaks of like a time. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's like when yeah. everyone's like electronic I know. mail. <laughs> well, you do know there's Whoa. a company called Evite, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like we we were very like online invitation to, yeah, to yeah. avoid mm-hmm. that confusion. I guess so, yeah. But that um sense. but yeah, I think it's more about with anything that you choose to pay more for or you choose to invest in, whether that's the way you want to re- represent your party or you know, the jacket you want to wear. I think design is one of those differentiators that really makes a difference. And then in the workplace, so you mm-hmm. mentioned like you have a value around transparency, but does that mean like the executives are more transparent in certain mm-hmm. ways? Yeah. Or like, I'll give you two. Does it get as extreme as like salaries and things uh, like that? Not as extreme as salaries. Yeah. Um, but the two examples, so we have an all hands meeting every Monday. The entire company's in it. Um, we talk Every about, Monday. Every Monday. Holy which shit. I actually really love. Yeah. Um, it sets the tone for the week. We talk about- How many employees are there? A hundred. Mm-hmm. But so there's 80 in SF, 20 mm-hmm. in New York. We have a New York office. The fashion team's there. Um, and there's a lot of back and forth between the coasts. And uh, New York will call in to San Francisco, majority of the people in the office. Um, so we talk about everything from 
you know, the products we're launching that week, we show them, like we model them, which is funny. Like sometimes I like wear clothes up. You do it? Yeah. Like oh. it's just like people just give you the clothes. Like wow. here's what we're launching. Cool. Stand up there. Um, <laughs> Go stand. And or we talk about, you know, the board meeting or we talk about company financials. Um, it's very transparent that way mm-hmm. to a discussion I was having with the growth team that I'm on. Um, and we were talking about what kind of tests to run. And, you know, when you're running qu- tests quickly, you're sort of like, what kind of choices are we making? What trade-offs are we making? We're going back and forth around, you know, how to make the honest choice. So it was like, hey, guys, I don't actually think that's the ethical choice. They're like, yeah, you're right. Like, let's like do this other Shit. thing that's harder. You know, like <laughs> yeah. it actually plays out every day when you're trying to decide trade-offs, better user experience, um, that yeah. stuff too. That ethical discussion seems to be missing a lot of those uh, marketing like test meetings generally. Mm-hmm. Like people do things that maybe aren't the best for the, the users necessarily. Yeah. It's just like we want this data or yeah. we want to see if we can do this. Yeah. Thing, right? So I think designers feel that a lot, right? Our whole yeah. thing is to be there to advocate for the user and we're constantly like, well, that's a worse user oh, experience oh, that's no. only up for two days. Or how do I feel about it? I'm just going to leave this meeting and let you make this decision. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, oftentimes I'm sort of like, just I just keep talking until someone acquiesces. Um, <laughs> Filibuster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's, yeah, that's definitely one of the challenges with designers on growth teams and designers working with data mm-hmm. is sort of, you know, being there for the qualitative side of stuff. Um, we made the number go up, mm-hmm. but at what cost? Yeah. So I think Everlane's actually really good at evaluating those choices. So we're like, and it's never just about money, right? Like it's, I think those are the ways that the transparency and the consumer first mindset trickle down into the work too. Now you said it's a tech enabled retail, retail mm-hmm. company and you are working on the That's, digital design yep. side. Mm-hmm. So what does that look like for you? Day to day. Yeah. So the especially way, especially on the growth team, yeah. clothes with screens on them. <laughs> oh, I see. <laughs> That's funny. Makes sense. Um, so, I oh think, wait, smart clothes. When's that? When's that line dropping? Huh? Um, Levi's has recently partnered with. Uh, <laughs> it's such a funny little <laughs> on the commuter jacket. No, I think uh, some of that stuff's really interesting. We're not going that route. We are working on technology for our brick and mortars. So there's a lot of things. I I basically as the head of digital design. I'm slowly hiring my team, but I've been acting as the ex- like lead designer on all the lines of business that the tech team has. And one of those is growth. One of those is like the core product, which is the website. It's huge, right? And then one of those new business lines is retail. So we're building a point of sale from scratch. We're doing a lot of interesting... Oh. Uh, I know, right? <laughs> Why? Why? Well, because... The bigger you get, um, the more data inputs you have, the more you just need a custom solution to sync all of your information to your yeah. stores. So, you know, there are a lot of great third-party providers out there. Square just launched one. Um, I think for us, though, it just our ultimate goal, as many retailers is, is just like really getting to know your customer across channels, regardless of what they do online or offline. So one of the ways to do that is to build your own system to be able to allow all the pieces to come together. So that's been really fun. Um, but the way I like to describe it is we have this tech team, bigger retailers, um, like more traditional retailers like, um, you know, a J. Crew or something might not necessarily have a like full on technology team, but we do, which is great, which is why it allows Everlane to operate more like a Warby Parker or any of these other sort of digitally native companies. And we sort of sit at the middle of all these mini business units, right? There's like a creative team, which is like our in-house agency. There's logistics like supply chain warehouse management there's fashion design they have their whole design they have a whole other design process where they're starting like two years ahead of us you know there's um 
I don't know. They're like, I could go on. There's like yeah. digital marketing, right? There's all these little mini business units. We sort of sit in the middle. We're like a strategic partner to all of them, but also we have like to the like- the studio model. Yeah. Yeah. But then within, we just call it EPD, which is engineering, product management, digital design. Oh, got it. Within within EPD, like yeah. that operates very much like a software company, like mm-hmm. agile development, product management, product management software, all of that. But we're very much- we're very different than the way the finance team might operate or even Mm -hmm. the creative team. So it's really interesting being at a company where as a leader, I'm doing a lot of like stakeholder relationships and Mm -hmm. it's, it's um, been fun to sort of see, okay, like how can we meet these people in the middle with their process (laughs) and, you know, slowly but surely figure out how we're all going to work together to have these concurrent roadmaps when we have very different work styles. Mm. Is that the biggest challenge? I think that's one of the bigger challenges as we grow. It's just sort of like everybody needs their own work styles to get their work done. But I think it was just surprising to me coming from more software-driven companies as that all these work styles might be that different. And then there's pros and cons and everyone is just sort of learning and adapting as we go to them. How big is the design team right now? So my EPD. team is really small. So yeah. I only, it's just me and one other okay. designer. So lots oh, of IC work. Yeah. Wow. yeah. On top of so this like, was, relationship management. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is why I'm hiring. Those two can be <laughs> very hard to square. Yeah. So I was doing all this individual contributing like the first mm-hmm. year, building all the relationships with the product managers, which is great. Building all the relationships with the engineers. Um, the team itself is pretty small. We have two designers. I'm hiring two more. So it'll be four designers. Ideally, I'll get out of the execution day to day and then four product managers and 12 engineers. Mm-hmm. We're hiring engineering teams as well. But that's slightly smaller, obviously, compared to most technology companies. Uh, and what, then, Everlane doesn't have 200 designers? No. Blasphemy. <laughs> uh, not the Airbnb scale. <laughs> um, but I think it's interesting because being smaller but doing the kind of business the company's doing, like the momentum we have is like really awesome because everyone gets to do everything. Yeah. So it's been really fun and I'm learning a lot. And the reason like I went to Everlane is I want to learn a lot about how to run a physical goods business. Like, um osmosis of all these different moving mm-hmm. parts like what is crazy about inventory management like everything you know how do we <laughs> yeah like how do we figure out warehouse decisions yeah. you know right now we're working on features for the website that are going to start to like show more information about the stores so it's then understanding the design of the process of how to get that information onto the site so all that stuff's really interesting too so it's not just what the user sees on the mm-hmm. front end. It's like, okay, well, we have all these stores. All this inventory is changing all the time. How does that inventory get in there? Who's putting that inventory in there? Mm-hmm. Is it a store associate? Is it us? Is it like, are we automating so, it? Yeah. <laughs> you're exposing a lot more of the process than like most people would expect, it sounds like. Yeah, I think I like, I guess what I'm saying is like the scale of the company allows every single individual contributor, whether it's a product manager or a designer or an engineer, to get to understand a lot. Because mm-hmm. the business challenges are not necessarily traditional design challenges. Mm-hmm. It might be like, how do we redesign our inventory management flow? Or yeah. how do we design a point of sale from scratch? And I'm like, uh, and I don't have a design <laughs> team. So I'm like, all right, here we go. All Just the put pro- the website on an iPad. Then. All the product managers, I've like taught most of them how to design. Like yeah. this is the world we're living in. Like they're in sketch. Ooh, we tell have, me about yeah, that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's been kind of, that's been a new world. Well, and I'm sure you guys Brave are familiar with Abstract. Yes. So Abstract yeah. has been really great for us, actually. Um, I was, <laughs> they are I, uh, not sponsoring this episode. <laughs> you should talk to them about doing that, though. Oh, they have uh, sponsored this uh, Oh, okay. <laughs> the uh, they're great. Yeah. Um, so I was like, we were early adopters of Abstract, worked with them in Alpha, um, which was cool. Never early like adopters. been on a, never been on an Alpha product before. 
And we've been using it for a while. It's been really great. I think because the team is so small, it allowed really big exposure to the process, mm-hmm. which was which was hard for me. I was like, okay, now these product managers who are my friends, they're great, but they're going into making branches. And now I'm a reviewer, but I'm like, how, you know, there's all this angst <laughs> about like, what is what is the design process? So I had like a, a mild needs crisis. I had, a, <laughs> I had a mild crisis a couple of months ago. Like the design, there's no need for designers anymore. Is Anybody mild can do being it. transparent? <laughs> I would medium, medium. Crisis. Okay. Hashtag design systems. But right? then this I, is where that usually comes in. Yeah. So I, I think what I've, where I've landed mentally is like, I actually think design systems are really great. It allows somebody still has to make the system, so that's still and maintain it and maintain which is it. Which is still like designers. That's yeah. where this design thinking conversation comes in. I don't really care if it's a product manager, or designer, or an engineer, like or a copywriter, or anybody taking it to like the last mile. I don't think that designers really wanted to be spending all their time annotating, pushing pixels at the end, making sure it was perfect. It was just more that you had to otherwise it wasn't going to look right (laughs) but now that the design door is sort of open people can go in there and inspect inspect the root sketch file Mm -hmm. and like figure it out it frees your time to do this other stuff so i'm actually excited about it but it definitely it's definitely been a learning experience for sure i've also never seen a designer cover all of the states that would actually need to ship yeah. Right. Like yeah. it always comes down to like someone closing that last gap. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Usually it's, I think, an engineer with the designer, but yeah. for the most part, it's. Yeah. And I think like we don't have a QA team. Yeah. Like we're all doing it ourselves. Like it's very, nice. it's, it's rogue. Over I here. like that. <laughs> um, so yeah, definitely a lot of states like, or for example, maybe something that I don't care as much about that needs to get changed. Mm-hmm. And there isn't really a lot of design tweaks and it is just copy or a state change for sure. Product manager can go in there. Branch the file. Sketch is super democratic, which is why it's awesome. Um, and for the most part, if I'm still reviewing or a designer is reviewing, I feel comfortable with that process. So it really like actually opens up a lot of space. Um, and everyone, I think it's cool that everyone at Everland was down to just do it. You know, mm-hmm. they're like, "All right, cool. I'm learning Sketch today." I remember one of the better decisions I made at Facebook was I think in the first month or two, uh, we just sat down with all of our engineers. They all downloaded Sketch which I understand is a financial constraint these days. But anyways, not Facebook, Facebook, it's not. So <laughs> they'll download Sketch. And basically, I showed them how to uh, command click a layer. And then you can look at the mm-hmm. sidebar and view the measurements. And I was like, if you ever see an odd number, basically round it to mm-hmm. the nearest division of eight. Mm-hmm. So that was going to be my other question. Is like, <laughs> And that like got... Letting, letting people change copy can change measurements mm-hmm. a lot. Yeah. Is it taken very literally? Is there some like shared understanding of like what yeah. our measurements are? So that's... So we don't have a style guide. Yeah. Which is a thing, obviously, that we need to work on. But when you don't have a team, nah. you don't get to prioritize that. <laughs> so I just look at things every day and I'm like, one day I'll get to fix this. Mm-hmm. But for the point of sale, because it was a net new product that wasn't following the website guidelines, we actually took time to figure out what kind of system we wanted to do. So the engineers and sat down like, okay, we want to do, we're going to try out this tachyons thing. And I was no, like, cool. Yeah. I was like, I want to try out this eight pixel material design thing yeah. and, you know, just like slap some stuff together. Mm-hmm. And obviously it works because those are great systems. So mm-hmm. we were like, oh, this is great. So the point of sale is, has adopted um, a lot of the systems that we want to translate over to the site. So it was a really great way for us to test and get comfortable with those um, divisions of eight, uh, you know, mine heights, all of that stuff. Um, so that's sort of like a smaller sort of isolated way to permeate that knowledge. Um, 
And then the one-off things where the product managers are changing copy or something, they'll still review it with me. But I'll when when that when I am reviewing, I'll sort of talk mm-hmm. through the design decisions, like or on the growth team where it's more like engineer spins up the test. I pair, I'm like take these three things and mash them together and see how it looks, you know. And then he's like, you know, I don't think this really <laughs> looks great. And I'm like, okay, here's why. Yeah. You know, type baselines aren't aligning. Mm-hmm. You put these two things together. Vertical I think, rhythm, I think, people. <laughs> I think that you should, you know, reduce this pixel size and bump this thing down. And he's like, oh, I see. You know, so I think like it just over time, if you just take time to explain mm-hmm. yourself, then it sort of absorbs. absorbs. Yeah, I found that. Scale and contrast rules can be hard to explain. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. But the word there is rules, like especially engineers, I feel like really have an easier time, at least in probably PMs as well, like thinking in terms of rules. Mm-hmm. So if something looks off, they can just investigate and mm-hmm. see like, okay, here's one rule. It looks like I'm breaking it here. Mm-hmm. Here's another rule. Mm-hmm. It looks like I'm breaking it here. Instead of thinking literally in terms of like hex values yeah. or like type sizes. or Yeah. Something. So I think... The goal would obviously be have a system, to have a system, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and like <laughs> to find those rules. Yeah, because like yesterday when I was doing this test, I was like, I really wish we had a system because then you could just pull. I know like the ten design decisions I need to make to like get you the thing that you need, mm-hmm. but I don't. It's not a good use of my time to have to yeah. think through all those ten decisions and then. You don't like them. nudging pixels. <laughs> I do actually. I love it, but I don't think that's where I should be spending my time every day. <laughs> true, you know. It's true. Yeah. So. Uh, how long have you been at Everlane? Uh, I started last August, so a little over a year. Okay. Yeah, it's been it's been great. I think one of the one of the things that I love about Everlane is we're really fast paced, super fast. Like we're able to have an idea and like get momentum around it and do it, you know. And there's not a lot of process, which has its own pros and mm-hmm. cons. But because of that, it allows everybody <laughs> to like yeah. you know decide how we're going to catch the momentum and pivot and do that stuff. So. Um, it's been really great. I think it's a good example of working at an innovative company in a space that's taking risks. So. so with the way EPD is structured, how does that interface with like overall company leadership necessarily? Yeah. So we, so it's interesting because the design, ref, like all three functions report into the head of technology. Okay. And um, so my boss, Jeff, is an engineer. Mm-hmm. So I'm actually reporting into more of an engineering function, yep. uh, which is interesting. Uh, I, I think, think that's often the case. Um, like that, guess, that's been my experience. It hasn't been mine before. That doesn't seem okay. I've had a C- like engineering backgrounded folks are yeah. running the product org. But like that's, uh, the yeah, that's design reporting. To that's end. true. I I've, I used to report into a chief product officer, which yeah. I think makes more sense when you're a software mm. company. But product to us is physical products. Yep. So we have like <laughs> it's very the language too is like that's why I have to mm-hmm. say digital product design because we have product designers who design clothes. It's not yarn. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I think the way that that's so the way it works is there's like, you know, execs for each of the functions mm-hmm. and they obviously have, you know, they're meeting all the time. We have company goals that we set every year. We were just talking about next year's company goals last week. Um, and we're going to this year, we you know, don't, we don't things like OKRs, all kinds of different mm-hmm. processes. Um, but we're going to sort of rally around initiatives and figure out how we want to like get these initiatives done um, this year. But it's very like high level, exec level decisions, but all those decisions get translated into how we're going to build the work by the teams themselves. And then a lot of cross team collaboration has to happen because everyone's dependent on us, right? Because we're the only ones that can ship the web work. But also there's a lot of strategy that needs to go into like why are we building these certain experiences for the shopping, for shopping, for, you know, 
how do people know we have stores? All these different things. So I feel like what's different about our team is that we don't want to be a blocker. We want to be a strategic partner. We want to execute well. And sometimes you have to choose which role you're going to play. Like one day you're just going to execute and be fine with it because it's like a thing that needs to happen. And the next day you're going to go, okay, I actually want to take time to do it right. So for example, we launched Denim this year, which is a really mm. big launch for us. Um, it's we been really successful. <laughs> we reinvented Denim. Uh, but, you know, we did a lot of research. Um, I was able to say, like, hey, I really think we need to do qualitative research for this. I want to figure out, like, shopping for jeans is really hard online. Like, it's not necessarily the mm-hmm. behavior people want to do. They want to go in store first. How are we going to convey fit? How are we going to convey this fabric? So we did, like, a lot of research with the creative team, which was really fun. And I don't think that was a process that had been done in the past where we're actually informing ph- photography strategy and copywriting strategy and, like, other things based on user research we were doing. So slowly but surely, I think we're trying to figure out what processes work for us and how to focus our efforts Um to really rally around like big group projects and then just smaller needs because obviously not everything can take you know 50% of the company's efforts what you just said just triggered something in my head I don't think I've ever used an online size chart Mm. because you click on it it's like okay I want to buy this t-shirt now I have to do my measurements (laughs) do the sizing guide is your sleeve 27 to 29 inches is your torso 48 to 52 inches I'm like well, close. <laughs> yeah, uh, I'm gonna guess a large. Right. So how I, the like, I know but every that's every website. They just it's like some crappy JPEG. Yeah. with like a ruler on it. Like, I think it's the big guess. one of the biggest challenges for online shopping, which is fit, <laughs> right? Which is why you see a lot of like maybe we we'll want to do AR, maybe we want to do like a body turning, maybe we want to <laughs> project it onto you. Like none of these things work. I think one of the, one of the things that we did well for denim is we. For the women's jeans, we actually photographed multiple body types. Mm. So it was like see it on other sizes and you could see it on a woman who has a size zero, a size two, a size six, a size eight, Mm. different heights. So when we were user testing, a lot of the – my question might be like, how do you think this would fit? And they'd be like, I think it might fit, but I'm curvier, so I have no idea, right? So it was like literally like show people like you. like obvious but hard to do right because you have to ramp up all the staff you have to hire all the models you have to photograph them it's it's four times the product album yeah you know like number of photos it's it's not a one-time product either (laughs) right right so i think it's like investing in really great user experience does pay off when they're like oh this is amazing i've never seen anybody do this um so those are some things we can do right or for example we actually get customer reviews early so mm. we'll like invite customers in they can provide feedback if they want and then you can like launch a product Is with that reviews. like those open houses and stuff this was a specific thing we did okay. for this launch okay. but you see other people doing it too like glossier for example sent out samples of their newest perfume with like any package that was going out so that mm. they could get reviews for that product before it launched so all these sort of things like people are trying to get real authentic customer data Mm. or whether that's images reviews or whatever it is there for someone to make a choice because it is so hard to know right yeah and like (laughs) i don't think i've ever shopped on a website that act where the model conveyed my body type which is very um, tall very (laughs) tall very lanky uh (laughs) stick boy um <laughs> oh, you might resonate with some of our male Everly models. <laughs> uh, Check usually it out. it's like uh, six foot tall, like really muscular, like no. good looking guy. I'm yeah. like, well, <laughs> none of those things. So uh, yeah, I think it's hard because you want to. It's just a really hard balance for e-commerce companies, yeah. right? Because they want to project 
brand, whatever that means. But most e-com companies today, especially in the women's space, like are launching with the idea of accessibility. What does that mean, right? Approachability. Well, I want to see multiple body types. I want to see diversity. Yeah. I want to see uh, price points that, you know, aren't ridiculous. So I think Everlane is definitely in the middle of the range somewhere, and we have more work to do in areas than others. Yeah. But I think it's always on top of mind, and how are we going to reach more people? How are we going to, um, you know, become a brand that they love? And uh, you said you're hiring now. Mm-hmm. Um, do you hire, since it is such a small team, mm-hmm. are you looking for designers that build things, like code as well? Um, I'm always open to it. Um, not a I think Not a requirement. I think it's more everything else. Is that, so it's super generalist. And if you draw the spectrum from like strategy to front-end web development, let's say, um, everything up to front-end web development. So it's <laughs> like I want a designer who is great at product thinking, right? So what does that mean? Well, I want you to be able to like be good at critical thinking, work with product managers, like figure out the problems you want to solve, ask the right questions, do the user research when we have time to do it, do the wireframes, do the visual design, nice, uh, do the prototyping. Nice little aside there. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you don't always have time. Yes, I think it's one yeah. of those things that is still a not a battle, but it's still a discussion. It can be tend to be viewed as unnecessary or a blocker. Or, Everyone thinks they have good enough taste to yeah, avoid it, right? Yeah, I think it's just more like demystifying the idea of research as being this thing that people don't understand and this thing that takes a lot of time mm-hmm. and this thing that blocks other teams. And it's more like, no, I want quick insights just like data analysis. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that you all love, yeah. you know, and rec- and want to do all the time. And it's like... You know, you only need five to eight high level reads on something to get yeah. a good to get good feedback on usability or whatever. Every time we do it, it like yields results. So it's just sort of working it into your process and mm-hmm. hiring more designers so that I can do that mm-hmm. um, instead of me personally just running around trying to do it for every yeah. project. So super generalist. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, our one requirement is like great visual design because okay. we're a super aesthetic brand. Yeah. So I think that's one of the things that brands that are very for like very well designed, you know? Yeah. I think um it's also it just becomes a very like public conversation throughout mm-hmm. the entire company. So like everybody cares about design. Everybody knows a lot about design, you know. And so one of the things I think that I'm trying to figure out is of the designers I want to hire, like not everybody is gonna have all of those things coming in the door. So is it easier or harder to teach visual design? I always I feel think like it's deprioritized <laughs> lately. It's deprioritized? Yeah, like I think generally people come in having um ideas about like what strong UX is, mm-hmm. but then they just kind of give up on the interfaces. Yeah. Like, visually. So, so it's like not an option yeah. for us. So it's sort of like I can either decide that I and, you know, my my designer Will, who's great, like I think that if you have enough people who are great visual designers, mm-hmm. But the problem is we don't have the system yet. So it's like, should we wait until we make the system? And then I can rely on the system and user experience. But it's also like I want people to learn those things too on the job. So I think visual design, I do think it's harder to teach because you just have to absorb. And this is my bias as someone who's trained as a designer, right? Mm -hmm. Is like you have to absorb the history and the theory and like you have to care about kerning. You have to know what all this stuff is. And if you don't know all this stuff, like "Ah, I don't know if I can teach that on the fly Mm -hmm. when I have to make decisions right now. Versus, and I personally learned UX, product thinking, and everything else on the job. So, like, my bias is, like, oh, you can learn that on the job. But I think there's a lot of value (laughs) in the other way around, too. So, I'm just trying to figure that out as I go. How do you evaluate a designer's visual 
skill level? So there's a couple ways. And I feel like is... it's way easier than like UX stuff. Like no one ever gets excited about really great wireframes. Look how good these wireframes are. <laughs> I don't know, man. I've seen some pretty good wireframes in my days. I think it's like not about the wireframes though. It's about the decision making that went into the wireframes, yeah. which is what I think user experience is, right? So it's like I've thought about these things. I've decided mm-hmm. I'm prioritizing X, Y, and Z. Here's why. Mm-hmm. Here's the goals that I'm designing against. Like all of that to me is the front half of the design process. And I think it's harder. Yeah. But that's it's only harder once you are trained and you can like do visual design in your sleep, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, for visual design evaluation, there's a couple things. I mean, you can look at the portfolio, which should be a good representation of like your skills if you're putting if it's up to date and you're putting yourself out there. Um, we do a design project. So um, we do like a paid design brief where we're like, here's this brief. Um, I've changed it a couple times. Can you <laughs> give an example of like an old one you don't use Yeah, anymore? so we actually were designing against the site. So I was like, here, think about this coming soon feature, redesign it, figure out how we can get more engagement, more purchases. Yeah. And then what happened was like we were super biased against the projects. <laughs> we're like, this is yeah, a terrible idea. You have too much context. Like, they, yeah. like this, they didn't think through these five edge cases. <laughs> this is like very much a disadvantage to these candidates. Yeah. So then I recently transitioned it to um, redesign your least favorite mobile site. Ooh, um, okay. So super abstract. Now we're interested like what they pick, why they pick it. What was their approach? Did they do any research? Did they do any prototypes? What is this visual? What is the visual design that comes back? What's their default, basically? And then I can learn more about, okay, this looks like a good fit, and I would need to mentor like here, here, and here, or they're really strong here. So it's just sort of like putting out the process, and then I can review. In today's world, it seems to me that generally, Dribble today has become eye candy uh, while sacrificing like any semblance of usability right um, it's been that almost since the beginning yeah so uh no i think there was more work in progress at the beginning but i think it was always about eye candy Nah, i, the I feel like it was more about showing that. things that that shipped now it's about like mm. here's this hypothetical gorgeous graph with these gradients and animations got it. and like this kind and of shit i got hired that, like looks nice but it has nothing to do with actually designing things right um so I'm just curious how you do you start from like the visuals and work backwards and be like visuals good now let's ex- uh, analyze the usability definitely not shit or do you go like yeah. usability yeah. and then they made it look yeah usu- usability because I okay. want to spend all my effort talking through like what like how does this work when are we showing this thing mm-hmm. like what is the logic behind this like why did you make the decision to do it here like place it above the full if the fold exists, which everyone <laughs> insists that it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, above the fold, below the fold, um, you know, just like talking through the design process that went on in your head and like explaining that. And then once we align, like, okay, I think those decisions make sense. Now, make this icon smaller, like <laughs> yeah. mo- remove this state. I don't really feel like it needs to be more visible. It's all more about like all the design considerations are I usually pick up on are about consistency. Um hierarchy in terms of what decision does a person need to make when they're looking at this thing visibility can you see it uh you know <laughs> is it too visible like it's all about the user psychology yeah. of looking at this thing and and then it sort of translates that but it's way more about should this thing exist in the first place tell me about the design decisions that went into it okay now we're going to look at visual design uh so you're looking for generalists you have a high bar what's been the <laughs> yeah, definitely like one or two areas that people seem to be falling short the most often and advice to candidates if um, you could give it to them yeah, about I think how to improve that. 
you know, I think it might not, it could be us too. It's like, it's not, sure. it's not you, it's us. I think sure. we're trying to figure out what we want and I'm trying to figure out, how, this is my first time as a hiring manager leading the entire process too. Like we don't have an HR team. This is the other thing. Like we have a people team, but it's not like we have hiring partners necessarily like some teams do. Sure. And I do personally, I'm working with uh, our HR team, but it's very much on the hiring manager to sort of figure it out. What are the criteria you want to hire for? So I like wrote them out, you know? So it was like visual design, product thinking, communication, yeah. collaboration, and flexibility. So like those are my, and like, how do you evaluate? Can they touch their right? toes? <laughs> no, like how, how. <laughs> I'm not getting a job. How, uh, how good are you at dealing with ambiguity? How good are you are dealing, mm. are dealing with trade-offs? Like how do you work with product managers and engineers? Yeah. Like when you don't get to do this thing and you don't get to ship perfect design, how do you react to that? Like th those are the Poorly. things, like those are like the questions I have because that's the reality. Yeah. You know. And where are people falling short most often that you've seen? Um I think it's either on either side of the spectrum like could be really good visual design but the critical thinking just wasn't there. And so I'm like, okay, how are we going to work together? Like how would you work together when you're tasked with something really big, you know? Um how long would it take you to like get to a solution? Like how are you going to work through like unpacking these problems, right? Um or do you really just want to like finesse animations, you know, like great, but not, not <laughs> applicable to what we do every day, yeah. right? Like we don't even have animation standards. Like I wish we did, but we don't, sorry, you know, <laughs> like, um, or like really great product thinking skills, but like maybe you're more of a product manager, you can't really execute on design yet, or you were, sp you were siloed in a UX design role where you had a visual designer, which is like, I really think is tough uh, these days. I don't understand the specialization it's detrimental to like growth for everyone i think so too and i don't understand why these companies are choosing to specialize people i get it i guess if you're bigger and you're trying to figure out how to divide work but it's really bad for people yeah. wanting to go back early stage and so i really struggle with these candidates where i'm like you're really great you have really relevant experience but you haven't designed you haven't designed anything like visual design and I just can't have that right now because I need people who can execute. Yeah. So that puts me in a tough spot because I see all these people with super high potential and I don't want to be like, oh, I'm just looking for these unicorns that don't exist because they don't, right? Everybody has something they need to work mm -hmm. on. So yeah, I think it's, again, it's really like abstract still in my mind. I can't really pinpoint one thing. It's just, it's just hard to find. And the other thing that's really hard for us is like we're in Silicon Valley. We're not a true tech company. Like you have to want to work on e-com. You have to care about like retail and like shopping and like things that are just like harder. Not everybody cares about. So like candidates have to come in the door being like, I really love this. I really want to work on like an e-commerce website. And oh, by the way, I have all these skills. Yeah. yeah. You know, <laughs> so it's a tough, it's high a tough bar. spot. Yeah. Very high bar. That's Everlane. Uh, <laughs> Learn more at everlane.com. Learn more at everlane.com. <laughs> Next segment. Uh, <laughs> you. Great. Who are you? Where are you from? Um, I am from Cincinnati, Ohio. Mm, Midwest. The Midwest. Nice. Um, I've lived a lot of places after that. I lived in LA right after um, where I was, where I started doing kind architecture. Kind of the opposite. Definitely the opposite. <laughs> yeah, definitely the opposite. I mean, Cincinnati is actually much cooler than it used to be. I feel like if I wasn't from Cincinnati That's and I, vis Cincinnati if I visited, say, right? I'd be like, oh, this is great. Like, I would consider moving here, but I'm from there, so probably not going back. <laughs> Off the table. Um, so I know what it's really like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, sometimes you just don't, you know, you just don't want to go home. Mm -hmm. Then I lived in LA, um, 2007 to 10. I was in my early 20s. It was super great. Lived in Venice Beach. I feel like it was this very, like, idyllic 
time where I was learning about design, but this was in architecture. So mm-hmm. a lot of my skills that I learned there were all the product management skills, um, like client relationships, stakeholder stuff. I remember being on the job site at, with like 50-year-old contractors and I was like in my early 20s being like, you got to change all this shit, you know? <laughs> so it was like a very- Who are you? My boss used to be like, just don't tell them how old you are. So I feel like I learned a lot about- They'll never like, know you're not 50. <laughs> relationship <laughs> building. <laughs> yeah. But I think it's a little bit different to be like, you know, a 30 or 40-year-old yeah. versus yeah. a 23-year-old on site being like, um, like, sorry, you didn't execute this to the way that we wanted, you know? So I feel mm. like that was a lot of learning around just like relationship soft skills and i was actually working on some retail stores at that time uh as, as on the architecture side foreshadowing full, yeah i know uh full circle and then i was sort of deciding whether or not to so in architecture you need to get a grad school to, degree to be an architect to like get your license very structured hierarchical biz i was sort of like i don't know this is like an old boys club i feel like i'm better at this graphic design thing um and i was just i remember in school too i would you know be designing a restaurant or something and i would spend a lot of time on the menu design and like think about like all these other mini experience details that were just not part of the project so i think all those things were sort of like well let me like see if i can get into grad school for graphic design and see what that's all about Went to Micah. It was great. Um, like met lifelong friends, learned all about design principles. Um, really, that whole program is focused as designer as authors. Ellen Lupton is mm-hmm. the, the chair. And I feel thinking like- Thinking with type? Yeah, thinking with type and her many other bestsellers. Um, I came out of there being like, I'm not going to do a book for my thesis. And that's exactly what we did. Um, <laughs> uh, but it was great. So my friend and now boyfriend, Tim, uh, and I wrote this book, Kernaburn. It was like- a blog we started in 2012. It was sort of like the beginning of the conversation of design entrepreneurs. We met a bunch of people. It like really spurred our careers and it was more about a learning project for us. Like what do we want to do with our lives? Here are all these models of how to use design with business. Let's mm. talk to all these people um, and like make a book about it. So it was great. Kickstarted it. It was super fun. We still sell it. We teach like it's t- it's like teaching material now in schools, oh, which is sweet. awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that project was really pivotal, I think in our careers and it's sort of the lesson people always say which is like make something of value like just make something right like put it out in the world and I think that for us even though we haven't done our own entrepreneurial ventures yet because we've been in house for a while um, I think it really it really spurred our career so that was great and then through that we sort of I got relationships that led me to um, my role at General Assembly um, and then people post and all that. So. Oh, man. <laughs> You're fast forwarding so fast. Yeah. Uh, I like the idea of also, so not only like making a thing, mm-hmm. but make a thing that forces you to meet a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, because, you guys do that. <laughs> yeah. Like, this is great because yeah. we get to meet you. Yeah. I think, I don't know. The design community is also so much, is so welcoming. I think we're, mm-hmm. we forget this fact because we're in it now. Um, but design conferences and everybody wants to help each other and everybody wants to like connect you. And I think it is very authentic it's not necessarily like hey i'm trying to use you to get something for myself it's more like i want to give back which is very different to architecture which is like you have to earn your way we're not giving you a hand like you don't you don't get to be run your own practice to your 50 like all these sort of things it's interesting i think there are some people who still like prescribed that in design which mm-hmm. is just the worst i mean like, i don't ugh. i choose not to yeah be friends with them. right <laughs> yeah uh so i think design in general that's what that project what Kernan really showed me me. I was like, wow, like 
you know, I'm just a student. I don't know any of these people, but, you know, Joe Gebbia is going to take two hours out of his time to talk to us or, um, you know, Jess Fish or somebody mm-hmm. just like people that we were like, oh, like these people are unattainable, but they're really not. They're just working and, you know, providing value to the design community. And they want to like if they have time, they want to help you. So I think that was like our biggest lesson there, too. And so how did that lead to General Assembly? So we interviewed Mimi Chun, who was the fourth hire there, the design director. Um, and she, we talked to her about like designing for startups. And back then I was like, what is a startup? Yeah. Um, and what so, startup do? <laughs> yeah. So she like really, the brand for General Assembly like really set them apart from some of the other um, incubate, like, you know, boot camps of the world. Um, back then they were actually entrepreneurial focused um they were they had like companies that were in their co-working space that they were sort of like incubating and then they transitioned full to education but we talked to her about the like importance of brand and how do you frame like businesses that might not really usually be designed like continuing ed right so anyway we became friends and i ended up getting a job on the brand team there um and moved to new york did that for a while and then i was like oh i really want Brand's great. Love it. I think it's very important. But for me, I'm much more of like a strategy person and not saying that brand's not strategic, but day-to-day and startups, product design tends to have more of that, um, more of that thought process, like more of the constraints, more of the stakeholder, like just like all the parts that come together to make a part of a product experience. And I was just craving more of that structure and especially like ways to quantify the value of design. And I think sometimes the brand team doesn't get that as much because unless you like at Everlane, we've started to like back into how to um, evaluate email designs or how to evaluate like like that stuff. Ooh, um, apply PMs. Um, like, yeah, but also PMs. it's like your data team too. <laughs> yeah. Like you have to be focusing efforts on analyzing the stuff. So a lot of times not all the brand efforts get that or like mm. how do you evaluate a poster was my example at general assembly right like, i don't know how this is doing and also we were Looks scaling <laughs> we were scaling so fast it was just like i couldn't keep up with all of the mm. environmental design needs at all the campuses so i was like i want to go in house on a product design team and really get like longer timelines more iterative work figure out how to learn from product experience and that's what i got at paperless so that was fun why paperless and also for people who don't know. What, what, is, what is Paperless what Post? Is paperless paperless post. post is, let's see if I can remember, reimagining <laughs> online invitations, online and offline. Actually, yep. they just transitioned they to paper to, business, though. Which was uh, very funny <laughs> for me at the time. <laughs> uh, so they're online invitations, and it's really about connecting people. So it's like we're going to use technology to connect people offline. So mm. I'm going to invite you to my party. We're going to have a party offline. The tool is there to enable you to like get all your RSVPs and set a good tone for your party, but it's really about that offline connection. Um, so actually all the companies I worked for in the past few years have been had an offline component, which is really important to me. But, um, yeah, so why paperless? So paperless, when I joined, I saw a huge opportunity for visual design to make a difference. So the product had been around, it was a very like web 1.0 to like all these Mm -hmm. like rounded buttons, shadows, lots of grays and beiges. And it was just, so it's perfect. Wasn't great, you know? (laughs) Um, so we were trying to take it up into this whole new world. When I got there, they just launched the iPad app. It was like, there was all this opportunity for design to, at the base level, like really give a facelift to the site. And then so I was able to contribute right away there, but then also learn about designing and developing products. So we made a photos, like a photos app for within mm-hmm. the product yeah. or towards the end, I was learning how about like the loop between the two-sided marketplace. So there's like hosts and there's uh, receivers, right? Yeah. So like you receive an invitation, but you may never have used the platform. Yeah. And the ratio is huge. It was like, 
you know, a couple million to like 65 million. So the ratio of receivers is giant and we were like trying to figure out how to convert. So I think over time I got more interested in like the business side of things. Mm. Um, and I've always been interested in that, but I got a good opportunity to learn more about that stuff there. How did you think about that loop? Uh, because um, like we have a similar problem mm-hmm. and it's like you can invite people and they've never heard of this product before. And ideally, you want them to try it, but you don't want to be like spammy or yeah, dilute the message of the invitation, right? Right. So it's all about sh- if you create a product that has value and using your product provides value, <laughs> uh, then it will they will see the value of the product and want to use it themselves. So the way we thought about it was we actually made the receiving experience. We focused on making that really, really great. How can we improve it? How can we like integrate with Uber? How can we, you know, do all this cool stuff that makes it really easy to get to your party on the fly and like message back and forth and, hmm. you know, all the tooling you might need to sh- to like show the value of paperless posts as a service so that when you have a party, uh, you think about us. And there's ways to stay top in mind. But I think the the thing with paperless or any kind of service that requires a need, like it's harder to, you don't always, you're not always having a party. You're not always having what? a dinner party. Not you're not always always you know, 24/7. You're not always <laughs> Doors having always like, open. <laughs> and the difference between like an announcement versus you know, there's all these different use cases. Mm. Um, and I think that was the hardest one was it's like it's not it's not applicable to you in that moment necessarily, unless it's Christmas or Valentine's Day or Mother's Day and you need to send a card because like you need to. Shit, I you forgot. Know? Yeah. Um Everlane is a little bit different, right? Like you don't always need clothes either, but I think that <laughs> you can decide to make a purchase because, you know, reasons, right? Like I need a new jacket or uh, I'm really excited about this new day heel and they're selling fast. So I'm about to get mine now. You know, there's like urgency around online shopping too. That's a little bit different than like an online invitation. Uh, the urgency thing's interesting and I'm not... Uh, throwing any accusations, mm-hmm. but do you feel like the urgency is when you set it up with accusations? I'm just like, <laughs> what's the accusation? <laughs> that it can be manipulative and yeah. faked for that reason. Like we have a warehouse full of this thing, mm-hmm. but we're going to say there's two left, right? So in perpetuity, because psychologically, it makes people buy it. More. We only have two left. So I think like one of our <laughs> okay. biggest challenges as a company um, is inventory. So it's like figuring out how to buy enough, obviously, and this is what you learn, I think, when you're running a physical goods business at scale is like, I think there's some saying like, you know, sitting on a warehouse of inventory is like the death of your business. So you never want to hold inventory you're not going to sell. But as our demand grows, we have to figure out how to meet, you know, inventory needs and obviously physical production timelines are longer. So how do you like plan for these sorts of things? So we're not lying and we say we have two left, but we would probably like to have more than two, you know, um, as a business too. So. Is it hard knowing that there are those like Jedi mind tricks that yeah will move numbers? I mean, I think I feel less bad about it when it's the truth, right? Like, yeah, hey, like it is urgency works, right? Yeah. But it is the truth, and if you happen to want this pair of shoes, we should tell you that there's only two left, and then you might want to buy it. Um, but I would feel bad if we were. I would not want to employ that strategy if it was a lie. Obviously, yeah. like I would be like, no, obviously we're not doing that. So I think that's where like design ethics and user experience comes into play, and where you have to make choices that aren't just for the business. Um, so we aren't in the business of making those kind of choices. Yeah, which is cool. I th- I think like the design ethics side is is interesting, especially if it's not a designer making the decision. Like mm. 
this is not talking about Everlane at all, but when company X realizes that there are all there are all these tricks you can employ to to move numbers mm-hmm. and the designer either does it or gets fired. Right. So I'll give you another good example about that. So when I first got to Everlane, we wanted to one of our goals was to increase um, acquisition, so signups. And one of the first tests we wanted to run was the good old modal on top, sign up modal on top My of favorite your paradigm. favorite. Yeah. I actually um, don't mind modals. <laughs> I don't love them. Uh, so one of the things, though, that we went back and forth on my first week was that we wanted to test a variant that didn't have an X on it. And I was like, guys, I just don't want to do this. This is horrible. They're going to bounce. Like, why would anyone, for- why are you going to force a sign up? And they're like, well, you really need to know the edge. Like, how are you going to know the worst case? Like, they basically were like, test the worst case scenario that you don't even want to do so that you have a threshold for knowing what you don't want to do, which I first was like, mm, I don't know. But we tested it. So we tested one version without an X, one version with an X, and then no version. And Obviously, the version with the X had the most signups, but the b- increased the bounce rate and, I don't know, other important metrics were flat. But the one with the X, like, wasn't that bad, increased signups, and, you know, you could choose to escape it if you wanted. So, like, of course, we went with the better user experience, but it gave us a talking point to say, like, hey, here's what we're not doing. We're At not least you have the data. Yeah, we have the data. Right. So I think that there is some, for a period of time, if you're willing to, you know, put not great experiences out there just to learn the difference between that and a great one. I think that can be okay too and gives you some some like, I don't know, quantitative fighting power for like the right experience. Like remember when we blocked this thing and it was so bad, we're never doing that again. So I really hate modals too. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Why do y'all hate modals? I just so I feel like they block the experience when you're just trying to do something right. But for us, like we so we have Wait, po- are we talking about a pop up or a modal? I mean, well, what's the difference? Yeah, pop up is, modal blocks the rest is of the page. non-action driven. Like a pop up, I'm just staring at a page, and then bam, a modal is I clicked a thing, and then oh, yeah. this, so this is a pop up modal, which oh, is God. like you <laughs> clicked. So like, let's say you clicked a paid ad, and you want to view a product, yeah. and we send you straight to a product page, yeah. and you're logged out. Yeah, you're getting a modal that's like nice to see you. Uh, it's like a pop up. Yeah, modals like, for interaction states can be pretty rough yeah, too. Yeah, yeah. Those, that's different. That's like mm-hmm. I have a state that I need to enter and do some function of this thing. This is like I am a marketing modal and I want you to sign up to our product. Mm. But, you know, I think as those are the business trade-offs, right? Like it's because it wasn't – it proved not to be that bad of a user experience and it did get us signups. Sure. And we want people on our email list because – Obviously, because email reasons, because <laughs> emails work. Uh, so I think you know those are the things where you're willing to live with because over time, trade offs. Sure, yeah. you know we we're growing the business and that's what we want. So I think I'm fine with that as long as we we actually like you know designed it. It has nice copy. It tells you what you're gonna get when you sign up for this thing. Like if you're allowed to the time to actually finesse an experience and make it into a better one, then I think it's definitely livable. I buy it. I buy the trade offs argument too. Mm-hmm. Like, Nothing's ever perfect, right? Um, so you ended up at Paperless, uh, and you were you went there because you wanted this startup product design experience. Mm-hmm. Is that what you got? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Um, we grew. I think I was employee number sixty or something, and we grew to one twenty. I definitely tend to enter companies around the hundred stage. Um, it's interesting because I always feel like it's like an, at an optimization phase, but I'm at a different phase in my career when I come in. So Paperless experienced a lot of growth, uh, growth on the company side and on the product design team. So we had, I think, eight to 10 when we left, and there was like 
two to three um, when I joined. Worked on all kinds of things from iOS apps to this photo product to really redesigning the entire receiver experience, which is like the most visible part of the product um, to the majority of the population that uses it. I think it was really interesting. I just got to work with really great product managers. I think I really learned there the value of a good team relationship between like the squad model, right? And so I'm a huge advocate for it um, because as a designer, I personally don't thrive when like I'm not a part of the decision-making process and right. I don't so understand context. Clarify the squad model. So product manager, engineer, designer. Yeah, yeah okay, cool. That's the ideal. Obviously, every team has different yeah, needs. People call them tripods or pods squads or whatever. Or, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Trifectas. But the idea yeah. of all three functions making decisions together yeah. at the beginning of a process. Mm. Um, and for me, I think a lot of that design thinking, the design strategy, whatever you want to call it, happens in those earlier stages. Feeling heard, understanding context, understanding business, unpacking all of that, and then deciding how you're going to design your solution. Um, so I feel like those team structures are the ones that have worked best for me, and that's what I'm trying to recreate at Everlane as well. Uh, so how long were you there? I was there for almost three years. And then? And then... And then why Everlane? Yeah. Um, I, I was looking for, at this point, I was looking for a leadership role. So I was like, okay, how am I going to grow at my career personally? Um, there were opportunities at Paperless, but I think sometimes when you're with a company for a while and you want to move into an even higher role, for me, I was like, I kind of wanted to make sure it was the right business too. So also, like I mentioned, I'm really interested in physical goods. Paperless had some of that, but I... I want to start a furniture company one day, let's say. Everlane to me was like more of a proxy for that business model where it's like great brand, great lifestyle brand that I would like love, That's that I personally love. Also, it makes physical good, so I get to learn about all of that. So it was more like the content of the company and also the role where I really wanted a place to fail, for lack of a better word. I wanted to learn the hard way because I want to get closer and closer to the idea of entrepreneurship, yeah. which is like backing into it, which is like having to make all the decisions by myself. And that's scary. So being the person, they didn't have this function at all at Everlane. I'm like building it from scratch, figuring out what how to build the design culture, figuring out how to build, you know, the research culture, whatever it is, um, gets me closer to like, okay, now I'm going to do my own company and have to do all of this mm, stuff. Yeah. So it was sort of all these reasons. Yeah. But really, at the end of the day, it's just about starting your own furniture company. Yeah, I mean, I want, I don't know. I mean, yes, I think it's <laughs> like, I want to start a business, I think. Um, I'm really interested in the furniture space. I think there's a lot of opportunity there. Do you make um, your own furniture now? I am actually doing some woodworking and making furniture. Cool. Um, it's been hard to find good spaces in SF. Mm -hmm. It's very crowded with people who also want to do these hobbies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, a lot of designers here. <laughs> a lot of designers <laughs> who want to be making things with their hands. Um, but yeah, I've been doing some woodworking in Bayview. It's been great. Um, oh, at uh, Malta's spot? No, at this place called San Francisco Community Wood, wood, wood Shop. Hmm. Do you know? I, th oh. I think that's Malta's. Oh, yeah, it is Malta's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, at Malta's space. Nice. Um, so I've been doing that. That's been fun. Um, but yeah, I think because of my architecture background and I have a furniture design back like history, I'm just super interested in that product specifically and like the homeware space. I know a lot about it. Like I just think there's a lot of room for opportunity like essentially for the Everlane of furniture, right? Like what is Ooh. like what is the better priced um, you know, well-made, transparent, sustainable furniture company. I've seen a lot like of a white like website. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> I've seen a lot of like simple like e-commerce for furniture stuff, mm-hmm. but it all looks very like crafty. Yeah, there's a there's a lot going on in the space. Like, and even if you look at Crunchbase, for example, like who are the furniture? What kind of furniture companies are being founded? Like, what's what are people going after? There's a couple of different avenues, right? Like, there's, a, there's many core challenges with furniture itself. One is like it's not a frequent shopping purchase. So mm-hmm. what else are you going to make? Uh, it's hard to ship. Extremely how do you <laughs> how do you deal with logistics, yeah. right? Um, it's expensive to make when it's well-made. Like, what is your actual price point? Obviously, Ikea has this whole front half of the spectrum, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's a whole generation who wants to invest in furniture that's, like, not Ikea furniture. Mm-hmm. They're moving all the time. There's all these, like, demographics floating around, and you can see different startups taking tackling different parts of the experience. So they might be like, okay, we're going after flat pack, which has which tends to impact the aesthetics of the furniture, mm-hmm. for example. Or there's a lot of great furniture design happening abroad, but they don't have United States, um, you know, distribution yeah, yet. Yeah. Um, so there's all these different things happening, and I'm sort of just like watching, trying to figure out like when is the right time to now. do stuff. It's probably now, but <laughs> I mean, I I'm definitely invested in doing my things that I've really learned for a I while. Understand, so, I understand. Um, but yeah, on the side, been doing some furniture design and trying to figure out what we want to do. My boyfriend's interested in this too, so it's sort of like a conversation Ooh, we have. I see. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, on that note, we like to end the show by asking, "What keeps you up at night?" Oh, what keeps me up at night? I mean, definitely hiring the team right now. It's like, I've got to do it. This company is scaling, the business is scaling like so fast. I need to be able to get these hires and build my team. So that's definitely like the number one thing. It's the holiday season. So it's the Mm -hmm. busiest time of work. And like, we have so many deadlines. Like, it's just crazy shopping. I mean, when you work for an e-com company, even paperless was like this. It was like Christmas cards and holiday parties. And it's like, you know, Everlane is... Black Friday, like Cyber a holiday Monday, dev freeze. Like, yeah. yeah, holiday dev freeze. What's our code deploy process? Like, what's our freeze process? What's our on call process? Now we're actually starting to develop these things, which we didn't necessarily have last year. So every year we get better. I was gonna say last year you came in right like before the freeze. Right? Yeah, so that was I assume October ish. Yeah. But you would think we would have the work done by then, but we do not. Um, <laughs> I mean, so. startup anyway. <laughs> yeah. So it's more like. I mean, we, I think we had a benefit this year of launching this big product, Denim, uh, a couple months ago in September. We're able to actually use a lot of that site experience again for holiday um, because I think with e-com in general, when you have the combination of like functional feature building plus editorial, mm-hmm. uh, there's just a lot of unique design needs. Um, and so we've been able to pair really well with creative to sort of set, set this year up for success. Um but we'll see. But yeah. Cool. So you're relaxed. This is the most chill time ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> nothing um, to be done. Yeah, nothing to be Hiring's done. Hiring is like the easiest part of the design process, <laughs> obviously. Hiring, I mean, we need like full-on design leadership course. Like how do you like management? Hiring All this designers stuff is, is like super hard. One-on-one, yeah. 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 So next time we can talk about that. <laughs> well, thank you for taking the time out of this crazy time of year. Yeah, to come thank you guys for having me. Hang out with us. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot. That was episode 223. Thank you so much to Jess for coming and hanging out with us. Thank you to you for listening. If and you liked thank it, thank you to us for doing the thing and hosting. Doing the thing. Thanks to our microphones for parsing our voice noises. If you liked the show up until that last thing that Brian said, tell us about it on Twitter. And also hop into our community on spectrum.chat/specfm. 
uh, we're in there all the time. Every episode is posted in there. So if you want to leave like comments and stuff and like chat about it, There's that's tons cool. Of, uh, designers and developers hanging out. That's at spectrum.chat. So spectrum. Talk to us about what Slash you think. FM. We also want to thank our sponsors for this week, and that is Figma. Figma is hiring. They're hiring product designers, a design advocate, and a content writer. And those are all good jobs with really, really good people. And you should go work with them. To learn more, go to figma.com slash careers. Of course, tell them that we sent you. Awesome opportunity. They actually, they're not going to give us anything for it. We just like want them to know that we're like, yeah, yeah. We, no, we're we the source. We don't get anything extra. We're like, the taste We've makers. already gotten the thing because they sponsored this episode. Yeah. But they might like they to know. They we're might done, like to know. But it'd be cool for them to know. You yeah. Know, like, oh, hey, uh, those those two boys on, on the microphones told us to come. So every podcast. You just described every podcast. Shit. Good thing we're the only podcast they sponsor. For now. <laughs> and thanks so much to Fuse. If you're ready to stop prototyping and start making applications for iOS and Android instead of just like drawing pictures of them, basically. Fuse is the set of tools for you. They've basically gone and, and reinvented the way that you can think about building digital products for mobile devices. Go to FuseTools.com. Check out the docs. Check out the examples. See what people are making. You can play around with it for free. And if you're ready to upgrade for you and your team and want a better way to build products together, sign up for the pro plan and use the promo code DD for design details. That's going to save you 70% off the pro plan for a year. Thank you once again to Fuse. Go check that out. And we'll see you next week. Thanks, Sarah, for making us not bad. Good luck with that. <laughs>